This is Interfaith-ish. I am your horrific host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listener, as we approach Halloween, the season has me in a scary mood thinking about the darker side of our religious traditions. The disquieting stories we hear about spirits and demons lurking in the shadows and sometimes within ourselves. This week I've invited my guests to share how the supernatural appears in their traditions and what the lessons are that we're to learn from these stories and otherworldly experiences. Joining me are Rabia Chaudhry, an attorney, New York Times bestselling author, and producer of the popular criminal justice podcast, Undisclosed, and most recently, host of The Hidden Gin and Nighty Night. Also joining me is James Bowley, chair and professor of religious studies at Millsaps College. I hope you're tucked in tight, dear listener, because it's time to get into some spine-tinglingly spooky, devilishly delightful interfaith-ish. Thank you both for for joining me for this conversation, and you know, given given the season that we're in. Uh, I wanted to take some time to talk about the the supernatural and and maybe some of the the dark side of of some of our traditions, but also you know how how some things that perhaps uh, we popularly think of as scary are perhaps a bit more complicated than that and have some more shades of gray in those shadows. So I uh, wanted to just start there and and hear from the both of you what you learned growing up about supernatural forces. Rabia, what, what about for you? What were some of the tales and, and uh, superstitions that either culturally or religiously you grew up with? Yeah, there's a uh, very little daylight between the both. I mean, the, the cultural <laughs> beliefs are based very strongly in, so my family's from Pakistan with, you know, the South Asian subcontinent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the cultural beliefs are tied very closely to the religious beliefs. And we come from a Muslim family and the Muslim faith, like many faiths is steeped in supernatural <laughs> lore. <laughs> um, you know, the very idea of angels and a God and, and demons and hell and all these things have, are, are kind of supernatural elements because they're beyond our comprehension at least. Um, so yeah, I mean, like for us, there has never really has been a question about, um, whether or not the supernatural exists, it's just about, um, I, I mean, that it's, that's just part and parcel of our actual faith. It's part of the creed, in fact. So if I reject um, even the idea, for example, of jinn, which is what Hidden Jinn, my podcast, was based about, um, I've actually, I'm rejecting um, an element of the faith. And mm. some, some scholars will say, you're not a Muslim anymore if you reject this. Like, so it's, mm. it's pretty, it's pretty closely tied, yeah. What, so for folks who aren't as intimately familiar define for us what is a jinn how do how do you uh understand yeah. what that means so the the jinn are mentioned in our scripture numerous times in the quran um and you know the quran is written from the perspective that god has written it so it's like the royal we and so god says in the quran that we have created like different kinds of beings one are angels and angels are made of light and then there is mankind made from clay um, clay and mud. I mean, like, you know, basically kind of the same Judeo-Abrahamic beliefs around that. Um, and then we created from a smokeless flame, the jinn. Hmm. And so the jinn are considered like, uh, just like angels and humans, they are a spe- an entire species or race, I guess, of beings that exist. They're created from a different element 
than angels and human beings. We're told very, very specific information about, about what they're like, about the fact that they can live thousands of years. They predate the creation of Adam um, by millennia. Wow. They, yeah. And uh, they can be, they can, and, and they have free will, unlike angels. So this mm. is the most interesting thing um, that in some ways they're like humans because angels are not considered angels only do what God says. They only obey, but the jinns can do whatever they want. Oh, that's why they're more fun. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> and or dangerous. But yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, that's an element that I, that I, uh, I hadn't, I hadn't realized. And I think it's interesting to hear how they, um, like you're saying, there's so, there's so many of them, um, that, that they sustain their own. It sounds like it's sort of a parallel civilization that's sort of happening on, on a different dimension. Tribes, nations, they live in entire hierarchies, societies, they marry, they have children. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's really fascinating to, to wow. Let's understand. just talk about that. That's <laughs> well, James, you're, you're not off the hook. So, I so know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So James, tell us then, uh, comparably, uh, what were what were some of the traditions and and folk tales that that you grew up with um, yes. in in your Jewish experience? So, in some ways, I, I wish I could give you a great answer to that. So, I am a Jew by choice. So, when I was growing up, I did not grow up with uh, traditional uh, Jewish ghost stories or whatever. Okay, um, but I I've also been in uh, synagogue a lot, and I don't hear lots of kids talking about. Uh, <laughs> Uh, demons and ghost stories a lot. So, but I would say that when, when Carl Sagan's book came out, um, The Demon Haunted World, that title really uh, struck me because I definitely grew up in a demon haunted world. Hmm. That is, uh, Satan and the devil were very real to me and they were uh, definitely lurking around every corner. And I, I kind of grew up in, in fear in, in certain ways be, because of that. Um, and so I was one of those people who, who did not like Halloween movies because they were so scary. <laughs> and, and they were, you know, in a certain sense, they, they were real to me in ways that I think that people who just loved the movies and were just there to have fun and, I don't know, could get scared in a fun way. I, I was never that kid. Uh, it was it was a little bit too close to home. For yeah, you, it yeah, exactly. Like. Exactly. So, so so if I'm if I'm understanding you correctly, I hadn't realized this about your biography. So you grew up, I assume, in in uh, a religious Christian household. That's that's correct. Right. All right. OK, so you can you can play both sides. You can give us you can give us a multifaceted uh, okay. uh, level of, of experience. So, OK, so so then provide us then with a little bit of of what um the teachings were that you grew up with what what type of christian household did you grow up in and and how did that inform uh the uh understanding of of demons and devils and so forth yeah so for me uh the the main uh demon it, it was not very complex it was basically satan and the devil and uh, they were always out to get you to tempt you i mean they're the same character right uh, the, the devil was always out to tempt you. And and to be honest, as I grew up and then in college, uh, started to uh, move away from all of that. I I was uh, I converted to Judaism, and like much of traditional Judaism, whether Orthodox or Reform or whatever, um, lots of it is much more rational and mm -hmm. does not uh, take those kind of beings very seriously. You might say. Uh, there are more mystical forms of Judaism that do. Um, but for me at the beginning, anyway, it was a nice relief uh, to to not have the devil around every corner, uh, you know, to tempt me or to uh, knock me over. Um, so so I grew up, I, I became much more knowledgeable about more Orthodox Judaism and traditional Reform Judaism, where those where the stories are still there and I, and I have come to love the stories. And I might say that the, 
Well, I have not had a personal encounter ever mm. in my life, even when I was super fearful. <laughs> um, and certainly not in my Jewish life. I have not had a personal encounter with a demon or anything like that. You haven't had a, a Dibuk come into your toe? Right, exactly. Um, but in the last, uh, I don't know, I think 15, 20 years, I have very much uh, come to appreciate the stories and enjoy them and love them, in fact. And I, I worked once with a, with a puppeteer to put on a play about, uh, about the golem. And all mm -hmm. of those stories are very meaningful to me now. And I, I just enjoy them in, in all kinds of ways. And it actually reminds me of one of the great uh, Jewish mysticism scholars by the name of Gershom Sholem, who, who studied Jewish mysticism in very serious ways, but lots of <laughs> much, lots of rational people did not really take him very seriously. And so one year, this is supposedly happened in the 1940s, he came to speak at Jewish Theological Seminary, and he was introduced by Saul Lieberman, who was a great scholar of Hel Hellenistic Judaism and very rational. And he introduced Sholem uh, by saying, Nonsense is nonsense, but the study of nonsense is scholarship. <laughs> and oh, so wow. that was a <laughs> you know, very backhanded compliment. <laughs> uh, in any case, that's a that's a great department T-shirt, I think, for you guys to have. I, I think it's a great uh, illustration of the two different sides of the way to look at these stories. Robbie, I want to come back to you uh, on that point that um, that James had. How about for you? Have you ever had a an encounter, a personal encounter with the supernatural? I've had um, experiences that I would say were inexplicable that I don't mm. understand to this day. That if I share with somebody in my you know family, they're like, "Oh, that was Jin." I mean, like you know. And then we'll watch like magicians like David Blaine, and every single Muslim you know is like, "Oh, definitely, he's either a Jin or he is in." <laughs> <laughs> or he's working with the gin. Um, that's that is our UFOs gin. I mean, that's how we just explain everything away. But, <laughs> um, but I know so many people who, and people. I'm I'm talking about doctors. I'm talking about hmm. national security experts. I'm talking about like, you know, very rational, intelligent, well-educated people who you would never expect um, to hear such stories from, but actually, and really believe it that they've had some um, really like encounters that they 100% believe were supernatural. The interesting thing is when I when I when I signed on to do the Hidden Jin podcast and I told my husband I'm going to be doing this podcast, one of the rules about the jinn, well, it's, it's a, they say this about the jinn that if you talk about the the jinn, they listen. They'll come to listen. Like you and you don't you don't mm. want to get their attention. Um, and so my husband's like, and I started collecting all these books of gin. Like I have all these books and all these resources. And my husband's like, Oh my God. <laughs> He's like, we are in so much trouble. We are a hundred percent getting possessed by the time this is done. And I have been kind of open. I'm like, you know, I'm waiting for something to happen, but nothing has happened. Yeah. <laughs> and I did the show and, um, did the whole season and nothing happened. And I was a little bit disappointed, but I also think that different people have different, uh, abilities in terms of their perception um, and different, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just feel like for some, the way I see it is like the veil is thinner. Like there are right. people who just have different kinds of perceptions. And I think I'm, I'm a very, I'm that kind of person who can't be hypnotized. I'm just a real skeptic. It's it harder for, <laughs> for me to pierce that veil. So, yeah. They're just waiting for the second season or something. <laughs> they know you're Can I tell you, to... I swear this is true. I got e I get emails, right? Um, and the great thing is that I pulled in a lot of, especially a lot of Jewish sources for this show. There's a lot of um, Jewish apocryphal writings that, that tie directly to Islamic beliefs around jinn. But yeah. I didn't expect to get emails from people of like, you know, um, Hindu backgrounds, Buddhist backgrounds, mm. animistic, different kinds of, all kinds of different backgrounds saying that, these the, what the stories you're telling track exactly with these beliefs in our culture, but they're just that they're named differently or understood differently. One of the emails I got was from somebody who said, "I hi, I I am a jinn. I want you to know the jinn are listening to your podcast, and we are open to answering any questions you have, or if you want to like respond to us." 
it was a very solemnly written email, wow. a little serious. Mm. And I was like, I don't even know how to respond because if I respond and dismiss it, then I'm doomed because if these people are real. Right. And if I, if I, you know, like, how do I respond? And I thought, you know, the gin can communicate with me in other ways. They don't need to email me. <laughs> as so, long as you leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> yeah. I never responded because I was like, I can't think of the right thing to say. So, but that was fascinating. It's a very long email about how he's writing from the gin realm. Wow. 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 Well, well, okay. So this has all been been set up. I really want to uh, invite the both of you to share a, a story, if you would. I have plenty, but I'll I'll defer to James first. Yeah. Okay, great, James. Why don't you why don't oh, you kick okay. us off? Sure, I'll start. So I I was trying to decide what story to tell, and it seems like the most obvious one, which turns out to be not the one I'm going to tell, is the, is the story of the golem from the 16th century the rabbi judah Lowe, who makes the golem right who's who's a community there in prague is being destroyed and attacked all the time so he wants to make a magical creature uh, that will protect his community and he does that out of clay and he he writes on the forehead the word um, emet which is uh truth but still this big clay monster doesn't do any good um and until he puts the name of god on its lips and then the golem protects the community. But then after that, the rabbi loses control of the golem and the golem goes out and starts attacking other people. This, of course, is just Frankenstein, you know, centuries ahead. Um, and and the only way he can stop it is by starting to erase the word. So he erases the first set of the word emet, uh, which is truth. And and then he's left with just two letters, which is the word for death. And then the golem falls over and kills the rabbi. Um, anyway, so that's a great story. And of course, it has everything to do with Halloween. Uh, but I know I just told it, but I, I had to get it in there because it is Halloween. But the, the one that I actually think is a better story is the story of Lilith. Um, which is a, a demon, a, a feminine female demon, uh, uh, Lilith in Hebrew. And I love it because it, it has ancient roots and it has all kinds of interesting connections in all different parts of Judaism. So this, this word is an ancient goddess that we know from Sumerian and also Babylonian uh, stories. So it goes way back into the probably second millennium uh, BCE. We also have one reference to it in the, the prophecies of Isaiah, um, in Isaiah 34, and it's some kind of desert demon. It's, it's one, of those, one of those words and beings that occurs only one time in ancient Israelite literature. So you're not really sure what it means, but there's tons of guesses out there. And the best guess is uh, some kind of uh, desert demon not unlike the demon that the goat gets sacrificed to for Yom Kippur in Leviticus 16. In any case, um, we know that that this Lilith has a history. And already in the first century BCE, uh, sorry, first century CE, we know of some uh, magic bowls that were inscribed to seal a house from the evil Lilith. So already people in the first century are referring to Lilith as a demon who's going to attack them and they need to protect themselves from her uh, for some reason. And then we come to the Talmud about four centuries later, you know, five, fifth or sixth century CE, and we have this very strange ruling which says that a man is forbidden to sleep alone in his house lest Lilith get a hold of him. So lest Lilith attacks him or get a, gets a hold of him. And what we find out from later stories is that this ruling is really because what Lilith does at night is steal sperm and impregnate herself. And she has this amazing quality of, of pushing out babies super fast. And we'll get to the story in just a little bit. In another narrative uh, Jewish text called Genesis Rabbah from about the same time, 
there's a reflection on on the two creation stories, right? Where you have um, Adam, where, where you have man and woman made in the first story uh, together. There's no distinction. And then in in chapter two, you have the story where um, Chava or Eve is made out of out of the man. So rabbis speculated on this and one of the speculations was that there was actually two creations and that the first one was a different woman and this is where we start to see the beginnings of the story of Lilith as being Adam's first wife and then things went badly for Adam and Lilith and uh and then um, God made Eve as Adam's second wife. So we come to a text uh, called the Alphabet of Ben Sirah. It's from the ninth or 10th century. And I'm going to read you two paragraphs from that, which tells about the first uh, marriage of Adam. When the first man, Adam, saw that he was alone, God made for him a woman like himself from the earth. God called her name Lilith and brought her to Adam. They immediately began to quarrel. Adam said, you lie under me. And Lalith said, no, you lie beneath me. We are both equal for both of us are from the earth and they would not listen to each other. What's going on here is that they're arguing about who gets to be on top during sex. Okay, and the one on top is the one that's more powerful. Um, and the one that's on the bottom is obviously the one that is subservient. And Lalit says, no way, we are both equal for both of us are from the earth. Next paragraph. As soon as Lalit saw this, that is that there's not going to be any agreement, she uttered the divine name and flew up into the air and fled. Adam began to pray before his creator saying, master of the universe, the woman that you gave me has fled. God sent three angels and said to them, go bring back Lilith. If she wants to come, she will come. And if she does not want to come, do not bring her against her will. Okay, the story goes on after that, but it's fascinating because the angels go to get her. Lilith being Lilith, of course, she's not going to submit to these angels, right? And so they sort of work out a deal. She basically gets cursed in a sense. Um, so it doesn't really say why, but she maintains her power and and she becomes the demon who steals babies. So when babies die in birth or, you know, in the first few days, it's always blamed on the leet. Um, and um, it said that one of her punishments is that 100 demons per day that she produces are going to die. That's why she's always trying to uh, get babies from the crib or wherever. That's why she's always trying to get semen from men at night or whatever, because she's putting out these uh, demons all the time and a hundred of them die per day. So what turns out to be fascinating is that, you know, th this is not just some weird story off in the corner of Judaism or something. All over the place, archaeologically, we have found amulets and these bowls that have the names of these three angels, Sinoi, Sansanoi, and Semangalof, which are there to protect the babies. And, and as long as you have an amulet that has the name of those three angels, then uh, Lilith or Lilith will not uh, attack your child or steal them or kill them. So it's pretty fascinating. And of course, that leads to in 1976, there's a great reversal and uh, Jewish feminists take the name Lilith and use it for the name of their feminist magazine, which is still going today, right? So it, it, she is a great symbol uh, for power and, and for equality in many ways, although there's some negative uh, aspects going on in those stories as well.
Rabia, um, can you can you share a story with us that uh, maybe keeps your kids up at night? Oh gosh, well I was going to share a story not so much that keeps us up at night, but okay. but kind of it's almost kind of like uh, where Muslim kids um, kind of like cut their teeth on the gin stuff, like mm. like the, the original gin story. I'm going to start from there, but I do want to say. Uh, I'm, I was so excited to hear James talk about Lilith because I did an, one of my episodes is about she demons, and I, I, I go into this entire thing, this whole story uh, about Lilith as well because it's um, it's we it's understood from the Islamic perspective that she was one of the one of the one of the evil jinns. But I totally agree with you, Jack. That one of the amazing things about the stories around she demons is because is that they are both terrifying they're supposed to terrify people but i also think they were they were a way for women who were not empowered throughout all these centuries to feel a little sense of power like mm. like you know mm. there is a there like you don't know what could be unleashed through like these female um really powerful forces and i think a lot of times they were reflections of um of just the of women having feeling frustrated and not being able to like say what they really wish they could say like I want to be on top or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> and one 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 interesting thing I found was um, because because of the belief that the jinn can marry and have children is also the belief that jinn can marry humans and have children with them. So there is a tradition that goes all the way back to the prophet Muhammad. Where and this was after he had passed, so there was like I think it was one of the caliphs, the early it was in the early times of Islam, where this um, this woman who lived in this village, she had a child, and the caliph came along. He said, "Well, who's the father?" And they said, "Oh no, I mean the father was a jinn, so like nobody knew. Mm-hmm. I mean like it was a jinn." And mm-hmm. I'm like, "Well, that's a brilliant way to cover up a, a <laughs> an out of wedlock marriage, right? Like you know, I mean like <laughs> uh, or or an or an out of wedlock, excuse me, child." Um, yeah. uh, and 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 so they left her alone, whereas she could have been killed for adultery. I mean, in that time, like, you know, like a, if a woman had a child out of wedlock at the time she, and, and nobody knew who the father was, they could potentially have been hurt, um, punished somehow for committing um, either fornication or adultery. So anyhow, so, kind of- so, so what you're saying, that's interesting. What you're saying is that she wasn't punished. No. Because, because it's understood that it's she married hey, a it's a jinn it's above board it's <laughs> she, she said I married a jinn I mean wow. you, you don't know him you're never gonna know him but I married a jinn and I have jinn baby I had a jinn baby so wow. everybody's like okay and I'm like that's brilliant <laughs> right right but anyhow the story I wanted to share I mean after I got your email I was like which one should I share but I'm gonna share the origin story which is um uh, you know the story of of Satan Lucifer um, you know Shaitan as we say in Arabic. Uh, because in the Islamic belief, uh, Shaitan was not a fallen angel. He was a fallen jinn. He was someone who, he was such a, such a devotee of God um, that he, he, he worshiped God day and night. He was, he was so, so righteous and so pious that he rose above the ranks of the angels. Like he would hang out with the angel. Like this, this is the, the story here behind Satan in the Islamic religion. Um, that he rose above the ranks of the angels he, he, and he was so close to God. And so when God said, I'm creating this new creature and you're going to bow, the angels and the jinn, all of you are going to bow down to this new creature that Lucifer got incensed. He said, first of all, what is this hollow thing made of clay that you want me made of fire? I'm so powerful. You think I'm going to bow down to that? Like this hollow clay shell that has no power like me, right? So he was very arrogant. So he refused to bow down. And when he refused to bow down, that's when he was, um, not only was he uh, expelled from heaven, but he uh, swore a uh, an eternal oath of enmity against mankind, that mankind, that he, that he would um, not just tempt, but he would lead astray mankind at every turn, that he would cause chaos, he would cause bloodshed between mankind, hatred between mankind, jealousy, all these things. Uh, because he was jealous of the love and honor that God was giving mankind, Adam, over him. And so so Satan, um, he went from being uh, Lucifer, the shining, the shining star, to Satan, the despised, uh, when he was kicked out of heaven, but that he was he was a jinn. In the Islamic theology, the jinn have had it out from the beginning, since the creation of Adam. <laughs> They've had it out for us. It got worse with Solomon, because... 
King Solomon um, and and many of the names that I found that are that name the jinn and describe them actually come from Jewish sources once again, that Solomon built his kingdom by enslaving scores of jinn. He had a ring that, that God gave him, had divine power. So he used the power of this ring to enslave these jinn, which really upset them, of course. Um, and they say that many of those jinn, because they lived thousands of years, could still be alive today. Some of them might still be trapped in vessels that Solomon trapped them in to this day. Um, so yeah, there is, there is not that all jinn are evil and all jinn hate humankind, but there is a group of jinn that always um, will always be against odds again, because we're kind of like the two, the two, like the two kinds of like children that God has that have a rivalry against each other. But yeah, so our original jinn story is, is actually goes back to Satan. A lot of common ground there as well with the, with, with the uh, other, other religious traditions. And oh, I yeah. think it's interesting to see how these stories evolve and take take on i guess a different meaning depending on on the generation that's receiving them um because it sounds like it sounds like there's a there's a certainly a cautionary tale there but there in in the story that you're sharing rabia um about shaitan but there's also a an empathy, a certain a certain amount of oh yeah, of, right of of saying yeah. who hasn't experienced that that feeling of injustice that you know this new kid on the block showed up and got all the attention you know yeah <laughs> not Mm -hmm. There's a group of Sufis, and Sufis are a mystical sect of Islam. There's a group of Sufis that say that Satan is actually the strictest, the most original monotheist ever created. Because mm. Satan was like, I'm not, Satan was like, I'm not going to bow to Adam. I only bow to God. Ah, so that mm. he, that he was even like, like, he was actually kind of like a good Muslim <laughs> in that way. <laughs> <laughs> that he refused. He, he said, I will, I, and that's basically what Satan did say. He said, I, I only bow to God. I will not bow to any mm. other creature, but God. So there is this whole, um, there's a sect of, of Sufis that think that, you know, I mean, it's it's that Satan's complicated. Maybe not all evil. He's got issues, but you know. Um, so the question is, like, did he do wrong by disobeying God, or would he have done a greater? He thought he would have been committing a greater um, sin by by bowing to anybody other than God, which is like the greatest, like at least from the Islamic theological perspective. I think any monotheistic religion worshiping anything you bow down to something you're worshiping it, worshiping any entity other than God is like an unforgivable sin, basically. Mm -hmm. Ravia, you said at, at earlier in the conversation that you've met plenty of people, well-educated people, very rational people, uh, learned people in their professions and so forth that still have a, um, a belief in, in these supernatural forces. I think it's interesting where we draw the line between faith religious faith you know which is inevitably <laughs> going to be supernatural terrifying oftentimes you know even if we believe in a benevolent god um that there is there is that that uh that awe and terror that that we might have in in the 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 hand of of retribution and justice that can come down on us but then sometimes even people that have a lot of uh belief in 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 faith and so forth sort of dismiss um yeah, this other side to it, the belief in a physical, you know, set of demons or these this, this sort of dimension that they would be in jinns and so forth. So I wonder for you, is the belief in these things in ghosts in jinn, in in demons? Are these at odds with a, a modern rational world that we live in or, or a modern view of faith? Uh, how do you reconcile these? Well, look, I grew up in a Muslim family that was a pretty traditional Muslim family, but we, my parents very much reject um, superstition and supernatural stuff. So if I ever said to them, and I did ask, especially as I was, as I was doing the series, hey, don't we have any family gin stories? And say, they'd say, no, we don't have any. <laughs> so I never, all of my gin stories came from like my friends, my other Muslim friends and their, their family stories. And so my parents were always very just kind of like, but the truth is this, I mean, and this is something that I was like, listen, I, if I'm a person of faith, whether I'm orthodox or reform or more modern, whatever, 
what I'm essentially saying is that I believe in God or some kind of a God-like entity, right? And once, if I express that faith, if I really do believe that, I feel, I feel like the ship has sailed on everything else. Hmm. I can't say that I believe in God, which is the most fantastical belief possible, right? Like if you think about what, who God could be or, and what kind of power God could have, all of these other little demons and angel, all these little things, ghosts, and those are like, those are just minor characters. <laughs> there is nothing yeah. more, there's nothing more supernatural and mystical and powerful and terror and all that than God. So I'm like, once I believe in God, I've kind of signed off on pretty much anything else being able, being possible is how I think of it. And mm. uh, I also think that anybody who knows anything, I mean, like we, anybody who, it's always like the people who who don't have a lot of knowledge think that like what we see is it. But people who really are like scientists and researchers, they know that we have we are very limited in our knowledge and our perception of what's around us, um, of different dimensions and frequencies. What even happens in our bodies? Only in the last century have we figured out like modern medicine. I mean, I, I, it would be really arrogant to say that we everything that's that there is to be known we can see and we already know i don't think believe that for a second i mean I did, in the last year the re pentagon report that came out about the ufos i mean come on like there there is stuff we don't know we have not developed the capability yet to know some things and so if somebody think you know and most people will be like people who are dismissive of, of this kind of stuff might be people who just are just have no belief in any kind of a spiritual system or any kind mm -hmm. of a, a spiritual entity at all. And I understand that. Then that makes sense to me. Um, but when people are like, well, I believe in God and hell and heaven. And I don't know about Satan. That's a, the line too far. I don't understand that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting because it does also come back to this idea of it being complicated because... Yeah. our relationship with the divine is a complex one you know okay. and that and that it's it we could we could oh we could think about it in terms of black and white um you know good and evil but but how much of our life falls into those categories you know our life is is constantly about questions and discovery and and trying to learn the the meanings of things that we don't understand um and and not necessarily getting a clear answer you know at the end of it but sort of hoping and striving and 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 <laughs> so maybe some of that is driven by fear as well james what what do you think what, yeah, what do you so think I, about this i go balance? along with a lot of that especially the idea that that we there's so much we don't know and i think especially about uh, human mind as well right um, we're, we're just starting to sort of try to figure out what's going on up in a, in that, what, two pound blob in our, in our <laughs> heads, but it, it's fascinating and it's interesting. And I think that, uh, whether one thinks that there are gins or ghosts out there in re in some, you know, real physical form or not, uh, I, I think that they are there is a reality that's going on in human minds uh, that creates these stories and that uh, observes things in the world and, and uh, tries to explain things. I, I think it has as much to do with reality as our fears do, as our, our hopes do. I, I, you know, as a religious studies uh, person and anthropologist, and I, I don't like to dismiss uh, people's ideas at all. In fact, I really enjoy working in the weeds, so to speak, uh, lived religion, not just, you know, what somebody up in, I don't know, ivory tower or whatever, uh, <laughs> says that the religion is supposed to be. Well, what is it really? Well, what it is really is that people have bowls and they inscribe the names of angels on them. And those things are real to them, period. Right. So, so Spinoza, of course, uh, there's a wide range of uh, Jewish thinkers. One, he was one who was very rationalist and basically comes down and said, God is just nature. So he would not believe in jinns or angels or anything like that. On the other hand, he would say, but your brain is making that up. I mean, if you were a moderner, uh, you know, you're that. And so that is real. That is still part of your reality. So I think there's many ways to think of uh, creatures like Lilith 
as real and all the others as well, even if you're not uh, necessarily claiming that, uh, you know, they, they are physical beings or they're flying around or whatever. They, hmm. they are real in, in many ways, it seems to me. The second part of our program that we always have is an opportunity for our guests to ask follow-up questions of each other. And so I would love to invite uh, the two of you to to ask any questions that you might have um, for for the other to to, to uh, get some more details. James, do you have any I, questions for Robbie? Yeah, I'm I'm so glad. Well, well, two things. First of all, you talked about the the whole world of gins. Uh, and I was not really aware of that. And second, um, the the story I knew best was uh, when God wanted Adam to bow down, and and so I wondered. So is is this whole world of jinns? Are there stories about that world? Or is it male and female? Or you know what what's going on in that, Ravi? I I I want to know <laughs> what what's going on in the world of jinns. You should definitely listen to the podcast, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> you You'll like it, though, it's, because it's not uh, like all, I mean, it's actually heavily researched, and there's a lot of academic sources in it, too, so I think it would speak to you, James. But, yeah, I mean, um, they, they are referred to in the kind of gender terms that we use. It doesn't mean that that's necessarily what them as a species, like the, the, those are the only two genders, you know, male and female that actually exist. Uh -huh. There could be, uh, you know, but I, uh -huh. I, the stories obviously we have are in language that human beings use right. and have used for thousands of years. Um, but it's, there are a lot, there are, there are, I mean, I could literally, so when I finished the 10 season, uh, the 10 episodes for the season, I have, I still have about 30 pages of just of notes for wow. future possible subjects because there are that many stories. And what's interesting to me is that so many of them actually are coming from Jewish literature um, and Jewish um, and and like I think it's pre-Talmud writings. I don't even know. I don't know the the, uh -huh. the exact time of it, but that there's so such a deep connection between. Um, and, and this is something I, I wanted to show specifically that there's such a deep connection, especially between um, Jewish belief, like like ancient Jewish beliefs and, um, and Islamic beliefs. Yes. But then what's fascinating to me is how like fast forward to now that it's like, like you said, like in Christian households, you're much more likely to hear things about devil and demons and this kind of stuff. But, and I have a lot of Jewish friends I've done. Um, I did a fellowship with Shalom Hartman Institute, you know, so uh -huh. uh, sure. I've always been fascinated by the fact that it seems like that whole kind of like that whole, this whole aspect of this kind of stuff has, kind of been really removed. Um, and I ha I've had, uh, I've been told by Jewish professors and other, and, and rabbis that, you know what, maybe like, we don't necessarily believe in a heaven or hell either. Um, and I, I've never understood that leap, like how it's gone from Old Testament beliefs and then these apocryphal Jewish writings to then like now. So that would be my question for you <laughs> is how did that happen? Where did they go? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So that, that uh, idea definitely has uh, the idea of the afterlife and uh, the supernatural has definitely in much of modern Judaism uh, been relegated to the side or completely abandoned. As far as the afterlife goes, when one looks at the oldest Israelite literature, there's there's no idea of the afterlife. And then it's only in the starting in the first century BCE first century CE that you start to see Jews accept those ideas. And lots of people think it's because of Greek influence. And then, then of course, in the first, second centuries, you have the rabbis and especially the um, Pharisees who believe in an afterlife, whereas the Sadducees do not. So that became important for the rabbis that there was a afterlife. But then when you get to uh, Judaism, in the Enlightenment and post-Enlightenment period, lots of Jews, especially uh, European Jews influenced by the Enlightenment, abandon, again, I would say, uh, go back to the idea that there isn't an afterlife. And lots of, lots of Jews uh, also abandon 
ideas about a supernatural, but that is supernatural beings and, and uh, uh, things like that. But today I'd say it's sort of a free for all. But one thing I would, I would um, love to see uh, going along with what you're doing is a renewal of the, of, of the awareness that for thousands of years, uh, Jewish and Islamic sources were used back and forth and were heavily influenced by each other. There are some scholars working on that today, like John Reeves at UNC Charlotte. Um, but but that, that's something that most, I'm so sad to say, something that most modern Jews are, are unaware of, that in the, for at least a thousand years or more, uh, Judaism was heavily influenced by Islamic thought, Islamic ideas about law and about, you know, all kinds of things. So the lore, the stories go back and forth between those two. And it's a very, very rich tradition, which, which is fun and enjoyable. And it would be wonderful to get that sense of their connections back, I think. Oh yeah, I mean we hear so many of the stories that we like the one you uh, you mentioned earlier about the tradition that says that no man should sleep alone in his home. Uh -huh. uh, it it also exists in Islamic tradition, but it's understood a little bit differently. It's not understood like in connection to Lilith, although I mean I, I'm sure there are like layers that overlap here. Right. Um, but but basically the idea is that men who live alone are more likely to get up to mischief and misdeeds and you know and i work i'm a lawyer sure. i work in criminal justice and uh, i'm like all these serial killers man they all lived alone <laughs> you know like i think about this stuff all the time like the most heinous criminals they, they because they can't they can't not the jeffrey dahmers they have to live right. alone. and i always think and i always think about that tradition that islamic tradition I'm like oh this is why men can't live alone man crazy right. stuff <laughs> women can live alone but not men um so but it's interesting yeah you hear echoes in it all the time and muslims are much more aware of it because we i mean as part of the the faith tradition like you have to believe in you have to believe in the old the torah you have to believe in right. the, that you have to believe in all the revelation that came before islam to actually even be a muslim so yeah but it's so, always uh, fun to talk to jewish um audiences and and, and i've done a lot of talks at synagogues and stuff like that I'm and, sure, and, yeah. and when i bring this up there'll be a lot of people are like wait what <laughs> yeah. hey, i have a question about halloween so are are there Muslim families or in, in general, do Muslims not allow their children to celebrate Halloween or do they allow it? I, I don't know if there's if it goes mostly one way or another. Or is it just completely an individual choice by families or what? It is. It is mostly an individual individual choice. But, you know, what happened was and I can tell you but this happened kind of globally in the late 70s 80s there was this big um wave of saudi inspired wahhabi uh -huh. thinking um because around that time the saudis started printing in every language including english and we got slammed with it in america um qurans that were interpreted in the way they uh, interpreted the religion yeah that, and so when the Wahhabism came to America, everything we had been doing up until then suddenly became forbidden. Birthday parties, voting, mm -hmm. Halloween. Like it was like this whole, like we all went through this like madness for about 15, 20 years. And huh. until like my generation of, of Muslims grew up and are like, what is this crazy crap? Like this is like, you're, just, <laughs> you're, you're forbidding and outlawing things that are not, have nothing to do with religion, are not uh -huh. mentioned in religion. And there's a very specific, very specific um, uh, tradition of the prophet Muhammad in which he says, do not forbid that which God has not forbidden. Like leave it alone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so don't make haram yeah. what is halal. Like if it's, if it's just leave it alone, like let yeah. people figure it out for themselves. And so anyhow, that Wahhabi fervor has passed a lot. And so a lot of our communities have kind of gone back to the, but I remember when, when we, there were people who were trying to like get voter registrations going up when I was like in high school in the mosque and they got uh -huh. kicked out. Birthday wow. parties were banned. Yeah. So huh. we went through a wave of no Halloween and now we're back to Halloween. <laughs> uh, well, that, that ties into the question that I was going to, to, to end with, uh, as we, as we get to the end of our conversation here. Um, I, I wanted to know you, you told your, your, uh, your stories from each of your traditions. 
if you were tasked with having to come up with a Halloween costume, James for for Lilith <laughs> and uh, Rabia for for um, a gin, what would what would they look like? Excellent question. Love that. So I I, I don't feel worthy to be Lilith. I I wish I could, but I think I would have to go with Golem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because Gollum is ugly and big, and I think it would be easier to make up a costume for Gollum, you know, just a big clay sort of blob and that can walk somehow. <laughs> well, my, you know, my my favorite uh, Gollum, because inter- Gollum turns up in all these uh, different interpretations, and, and I, you mentioned Frankenstein, that's obviously a spin on, on it, but um, Ben Grimm, The Thing, and The Fantastic Four, is, who is literally a Jewish character, is uh, is a big rock monster and that is is supposed nice. to be also uh created by created by the great uh jack kirby um and and supposed to be a representation of of the golem as well transforms into this this big rock uh rock monster which doesn't ever have the name of god inscribed on his head or no. or, 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 or or what it's it's name of God on the head or it's truth on, on so his, it's truth on the forehead, on the forehead name of God in the mouth on the mouth yeah doesn't he's just chomping on big cigars he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't have that but <laughs> but uh, that's uh, well, yeah you can that's just why he's not quite so harmful <laughs> there you go he does you know he goes toe to toe with the Incredible Hulk um, so ah. careful um, so yeah you can just get a bootleg one of those on Amazon I'm sure. <laughs> Um, what what about you, Rabia, for for your your homemade gin costume? Your kids come to you and say, "We want to be a family of gins for Halloween." How would you how would you prepare the costume? Oh, we could all pick so many different things. I mean, um, in in the Jewish apocryphal writings that describe the different jinns that Solomon called to him, they're described in so many different ways. Some are huge and powerful. Some have a million wings. Some have are half forms. They're called the nasnas. They're, they're, they have half a form, like one eye, one arm, like, and they limp around. Ooh. But I think the one I would go for myself, my kids could pick what they wanted, was um, there's a, a well-known North African female djinn called Aisha Kandicha, and she actually has a cult around her um, that people pledge their loyalty to her. Men will say that I've married her so they don't, she doesn't kill me. Um, and, the, and all of her power is kind of channeled through these women in the community, which I think is also... Um, mm. A smart move on by on the women's part, but Aisha Kandita looks uh, like uh, she's been described as being a very very big woman, very tall and broad, having huge pendulous breasts, wearing all black, long black gown. Her black hair is long pitch and covers her face, uh, and her feet are backwards. And that's one way you know you're dealing with a jinn that her their feet. Whoa. So the really? jinn, yeah, and the jinn are ship shape. Uh, sh- uh, Shapeshifters, yeah, thank you. Shapeshifters, but they can even shift their shape to look just like a human being, even look like somebody you know, somebody you love. They can look like you, um, but they can't change their feet. Their feet will always be facing backwards. So that's like a tell with a gin. So it would, it would have to be a wow. costume that, like hers, yeah. And one more gin that I want to mention real quickly, and I think this is one of the freakiest ones, and this is the one that there's the Islamic tradition that every single one of us is born with a jinn, our own jinn. That jinn mm. lives a parallel life with us. And that jinn, unlike the ones that are ancient, will die with us as well. Um, huh. and, and and it's there's a lot of stories about that particular jinn. It's really interesting. So is that jinn a good one or a bad one? That jinn can be either. And I think the story here is a lot like the story of the angel on your shoulder, the, okay. the one whispering, then the devil on your shoulder. So that yeah. jinn can act. And it's kind of like the wolf you feed. So yeah. um, for the most part, you're not, they're called the Karin. You're not supposed to try to contact your Karin, but they're living these like parallel lives with you. And I, it's, there's a, it's, it's a really kind of interesting I mean, spooky, creepy. I, to me, they creep me out more than any of your gin is the one that's like right around me. They know you so well. They know your secrets. They're always with you. They can, um, if you provoke, if, if you are not nice about them or you want to provoke them, they will provoke you back and they can make you mad. Hmm. That's getting into some uh, reverberations of, of us, the the recent right. Jordan Peele right. film that that gets in there. I don't know if you've seen that one, but oh yeah, it's great. I feel like that that conjures a lot of that that feeling, and and that was, I mean, 
such a such a creepy idea to to have represented in film and i mean really masterfully done this idea of there being this you know shadow world that's happening yeah yeah um and and if we're not careful may <laughs> may become the reality and all that's yeah. our i gotta reality. rewatch that it was so good yeah <laughs> All right. Well, uh, James, you've got a you've got a few days left to um, to figure out your Lilith costume. We want to That's see right. some <laughs> pictures on Instagram when you when you figured it out. Yeah, there, we do have some ancient pictures or drawings at least. So yeah. What what? How is she depicted in those in those images? Yeah. So she they're sort of like stick figures uh, on most of the bowls. You know, they're just what we would think of as very uh, uh, primitive. But she's usually got interesting hair sticking out, and yeah, nice. I mean, you you wouldn't look at it and say, "Oh, there's a beautiful woman." <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but then again, why not? I mean, I I think she, I yeah, I'd like to I'd like to be her someday. As as with many of these things, sounds open to interpretation and letting <laughs> your right. imagination fill in the scary details. <laughs> <laughs> Although it sounds, it sounds a stick figure sounds a little bit easier to uh, to figure out at the costume shop than what did you say, Rabia? A million wings. Yeah. <laughs> so oh yeah. That would oh, be yeah. that'd be a little bit of a, a higher order. I just had to make a lightsaber <laughs> this past weekend, so that that was as far as I got. I got very lazy and just bought like a Spiderman costume and called it a day for my son. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Well, this has been really fantastic. Um, thank you both for uh, for taking the time to to join me and for sharing sharing some of these traditions. Um, James, if folks want to uh, catch up on some of your writings and and read more about um, uh, some of some of the the works that you've done, how can folks find you? They can just uh, email me at james at millsapscollege.edu. Shying away from the social media. Oh, I'm on Facebook too, so. <laughs> they can find James E. Bowley there if they want. Uh-huh. Don't, don't find that James F. Bowley. You don't want to follow that guy. <laughs> Rabia, you're, you are ubiquitous, uh, a maven across all sorts of media. Where, where do you point people? Twitter is where you will find me most frequently, like all the time frequently. <laughs> so my Twitter handle is at uh, Rabia Squared. And, uh, but I'm on Facebook too. I don't post there as much, but yeah, mostly I, 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 my therapy is on Twitter. So you'll find me there. Uh, or you can go to my website, rabiajadu.com, and you can contact me directly through there if you'd like to. And the podcast Empire Undisclosed is in what season at this point? Undisclosed, we are 20 cases in, seven years Amazing. in. Um, uh, wow. Yeah, and so we've helped exonerate about half of our defendants, about 12 of them. So, uh, yeah, if you like, if that's your thing, um, you know, they're murder mysteries, they're innocence cases, it's undisclosed. If the hidden, you know, gin you want to learn a lot about, there's that. And my recent podcast is Nighty Night, which is just like uh, original creepy bedtime stories that are based on some kind of true underlying story. And that's been fun to do. I appreciate everything that both of you are, are doing out in the world, in the material and in the spiritual realms. <laughs> so um, thank you. Keep it up. And, uh, and I look forward to many good stories from the both of you uh, going forward. Thank Thanks you so, so much, much, Jack. Great, great to meet you, James. And you, Rabia. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye, guys. Dear listener, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I want to again thank my guests, Rabia and James. Be sure to look up James on Facebook and Rabia on Twitter, and then listen to all of Rabia's fantastic podcasts, Undisclosed, The Hidden Gin, and Nighty Night. As always, I want to give a shout out to my fellow interfaith astronauts, Miranda Haunted House Hovemeyer and Sue Black Cats Crossing Your Path Miller and the phantasmic Jeff Philosopher for providing our music. And thank you, dear listeners and gins, for spending your hour with us. If you're listening to this over at tacomaradio.org, you can also find our archives of past shows or check us out on your podcast aggregator of choice. We're available on whatever dimension you happen to be inhabiting. We're on social media at Interfaith-ish, 
Keep writing us with the interfaithish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. Interfaithish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at tacomaradio.org.